Christ, 
The reading for today is from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, 
but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. All right, thank you, Allison, for the reading. Hello, Redemption. This is wild, isn't it? Yes. Preaching in front of a throng of seven people right now. So this is pretty exciting. This is pretty wild, isn't it? 2020 has not turned out the way I thought it would. In fact, I'm revisiting my statement that 2019 was worse than 2020 is going to be. I think I'd like to go back to 2019 now. Um, I will tell you, uh, for me personally, just the worst part of doing church like this is not necessarily uh, not being able to preach to a congregation, Um, although I love doing that, and I believe I'm called to do that, to preach and teach. What's, What's even worse than that is the fact that we aren't gathering and we're not in community. Uh, That's probably the thing I look forward to the most on Sunday morning. And so I miss you all. I hope you're tuning in, so to speak, and and, uh, having a little church at home uh, this morning with your family, but um, I do miss seeing you all. And since uh, it's only mass gatherings that we're not doing, I'm still going to have coffee with those of you that I've scheduled to have coffee with. And uh, those of you that would like to schedule it, well, certainly give me a text and we'll figure that out. Uh, By the way, speaking of mass gatherings versus smaller gatherings, we're still having our smaller gatherings. We're still going to have the men's Bible study on Monday morning. The women's Bible studies are are still going. Uh, The Wednesday night Bible study that Trey started this last Wednesday, I'm going to finish that up. Uh, this coming Wednesday night, the 18th, 6.30 to 7.45. The reason is because we can, in those smaller gatherings, we can still practice what's called social distancing, which is very important. Um, We had 40 or 50 people here last Wednesday night, and in this room, everybody can have that four-foot sort of distance from everybody else if you feel uncomfortable about that. So we're still going to do that. I've been thinking a lot about what to talk about today And uh, so much of it, uh, I I felt driven by so much of what's happening uh, to go to Philippians. There's a lot about Philippians chapter 1 that I wouldn't mind talking about. Um, Ever since this coronavirus thing has started, um, my approach has been one that I've constantly been questioning, uh, my my own approach. Um, am, Am I ignorant about how dangerous this threat is, or am I just a fatalist? My father was a fatalist. So am I a fa- did he sort of pass that gene down to me? Am I a fatalist? I just don't care what happens. Um, or am I a man of great faith? This is an example of how much faith I have, that it just doesn't matter that much to me. Or am, am I just stupid? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Again, I think a lot about Philippians chapter 1 verses, well, the end of 18 through 24. Many of you know I describe myself as a Philippians 1 Christian, you know, where, where Paul is in prison and his, un, his future is uncertain. And that's essentially what we're going to talk about today is faith in the midst of an uncertain future. Uh, his future was uncertain. He was in prison. He didn't know if he was going to be executed. He didn't know if he was going to be uh, released to go and minister again. And so Paul was kind of going back and forth, and ultimately he said that, that for me to, uh, for, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
To live is Christ and to die is gain. Essentially, he's saying that no matter what happens, he can't lose. If he dies, he gets to go and be with Jesus. I agree with that. If I die, I get to go and be with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. But if I continue to live, Christ is in me and I am in Christ, and that is a tremendous and powerful benefit as well. And so I'm empowered by Christ. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was saying the same thing. And ultimately, he said that what I believe is going to happen, Paul, is that I'm going to continue with you, and I believe I'm going to continue with you as well. Although I am over 60, I am in the highest risk area for the coronavirus, I believe that everything's going to be fine from here. But then we could also look at the end of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, which in the Greek is one sentence and really is the thesis statement of that letter to the church at Philippi, uh, where Paul talks about how as a church, as a faith community, our call is to be worthy of the gospel, and we do that by striving side by side in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, in unity, and in effect proclaim the gospel. That is ultimately the message of his letter to the church at Philippi, and that would be our message to all of us today, that we are steadfast in our faith, that we are striving side by side, that we are all seeking after the Holy Spirit and submitting to God's will. So I know some of you, I've already gotten some texts, have been asking about, well, what happens to the current series, our countercultural convictions? So many people, and I understand this, I was too, so many people were looking forward to Justin Anderson, our founding pastor, coming um, on Sunday, March 15th and preaching about gender to us, uh, and, and I recognize that. Uh, the church, and by that I mean um, Redemption Central or Big R Redemption, we have decided to uh, deviate from the schedule and plan at least for one week. We're not sure yet about what's going to happen March 22nd and beyond, but we're going to deviate from the plan at least one week. And it's not that uh, I wouldn't be able to do the topic or the other pastors wouldn't be able to do the topic of, of gender. In fact, some of you will recall, we did this topic um, in Redemption Arcadia last fall for three nights on Wednesday nights in a Bible study. So we have done this uh, topic, in fact. Um, and also, if you're interested in, in what Justin's sermon might have looked like, he's actually preached a, a version of this sermon in his church in Seattle. He did it a few months ago. His church, by the way, in Seattle is Icon Church. And I believe Caleb is going to put up the link on the video as I'm saying this, as he edits the video. Um, so you can actually go and listen to Justin's sermon on gender, uh, which again is out of uh, the first couple of chapters of Genesis, which is exactly what I did last fall as well. So you can hear that. And we are still planning on having Justin come. We're just not sure when. We're not sure if it's going to be some Sunday or if it's going to be in the, mid, in the middle of the week. But he is going to come sometime in 2020 after things begin to calm down. So all of that to say, instead today, we're going to be talking about our faith, the Christian faith, in the midst of what we would call serious in-your-face uncertainty. And that's what we have right now. We have health and medical uncertainty. We certainly have economic and marketplace uncertainty. We have relationship 
uncertainty. And we have an uncertainty about our systems as well. I mean, as I understand it, Amazon, quote, prime with next day delivery isn't so next day right now, especially if you're trying to order things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer. They're pushed back at least a week. And, and we've actually uh, had a breakdown of our, our delivery systems in many of our stores for those items um, as well. So this will be a lesson for all of us in the future to stack up on toilet paper. I know that sounds weird. But, uh, but here's the other thing. It's not like we haven't lived in uncertain times in the past. And I know I'm older than some of you, so I've been through... Uh, I've actually lived through some of these uncertain times, but just, just hear me out. Just going back uh, half a century, I lived through the 60s, and believe me, as much fun as we make of the 60s, those were uncertain times. You had the Vietnam War going on, you had uh, lots of social revolutions going on. It was very uncertain. In 1987, in the wake of the, of the, of the new tax bill that was passed, that devastated the real estate industry and then brought us to the point of what's known as Black Monday in October of 1987, there was tremendous economic uncertainty at, at that point. Uh, obviously, we've had 9-11 in 2001. In 2008, we had the, the mortgage and the housing industry meltdowns, and that was devastating for many people. Um, those of you who are older than I am, you remember the Cold War, and I remember the, the the end of that Cold War. Now, I don't expect that anybody in our audience will remember this, but I've been reading about this. Uh, today, this week, is not the first time that churches and mass gatherings in the United States have been shut down. In 1918, with the spread of the Spanish flu, churches had to shut down. In fact, they were mandated by many governments to have to shut down for the Spanish flu, as well as other gatherings. The problem is that we are humans. And we live in a fallen and corrupt world because of sin. And as such, there always seems to be some sort of a threat to our sustenance. Always. It's just that the threats are usually milder than this. We have this constant ongoing fear of scarcity. Right now, the biggest fear of scarcity is hand sanitizer and toilet paper. It's crazy. And we also have this terrible discomfort in the United States at least, of living with any sort of ambiguity or uncertainty. The United States is described as a low ambiguity tolerant culture. We hate uncertainty. We hate any form of uncertainty. We struggle with that. And I, also, I, would, I would argue that, that that demonstrates a complete lack of faith in who God is. The more uncertain we are, the more we worry. It just demonstrates how much we, we really don't have much faith in God. So we need a reminder, or for some, what we need is a fresh hearing of what our rock is, what our foundation is. We need to remember and understand who our Savior and our provider is. And I think it would be helpful for us in this milieu to hear from an Old Testament passage, that's Psalm 32, that's what Allison read, something from a gospel and then something from a New Testament letter. So we're going to look at Psalm 32. We're going to probably spend most of our time in that. Then we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll close uh, with something out of Philippians chapter 4. So we're going to go through Psalm 32 verse by verse, and we're going to see the encouragement and the instruction that all of us need in a time like this. And, and I would encourage you, since we don't have the screen going for this, I would encourage you now 
to hit the pause button and go get your Bibles and open it to Psalm 32. And this way I can go and check my text messages while you do that, okay? So get your Bibles, Psalm 32. It's right after Psalm 31 if you're wondering where it is. So here we go. Psalm 32 is a psalm from David, King David. Before we get into this psalm, I want you to understand something about David that's really important. David is this mixture of essentially two personas that we know of from the Bible. David is, first of all, described in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart. I would love to be remembered as a man after God's own heart. That is, that is the highest compliment I think a person of faith can receive. But that's just one side of David. David was also a dreadful sinner, a dreadful sinner. And many of his sin, sins were exposed and written about. How many of you would like your sins to be made as public as David's were? Uh, David is kind of the Old Testament version of social media shaming, if you, if you want to look at it that way. But still, even in the midst of all this sin, he desired and pursued God. And as a sinner whose heart was for God, he is a good person to be able to instruct us at a time like this because he is, in so many ways, us. There's a little bit of David. No, I would say it this way. There's a lot of David in every one of us. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. So let's go verse by verse through this psalm, let's starting with verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to reread these verses as we go. And I want you to understand something about what we're going to do here in the next 20 minutes. We're not going to get right to this understanding of faith during times of uncertainty because we have to build a foundation first. We have to understand where we're coming from first. Again, the problem with the culture that we live in today is that everybody wants to eat dessert, but nobody wants to start with their vegetables. And we need to start with our vegetables. We need to have a foundation before we can get to the promises of God. If you don't understand why God is making these promises or who God is and who you are, these promises aren't going to make any difference to you Whatsoever. So David starts this psalm with these two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression or sin is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So these two verses are like the basics of everything. The basics of everything in terms of theology, the basics of everything in terms of who God is and who we are. David reminds us that everyone has sinned. Everyone. We are all sinners. And as a result, all of us are separated from God and his goodness. There is no exception to this, except, of course, Jesus. Therefore, all of us need redemption. All of us need forgiveness. Again, there, there are no exceptions for this. Nobody escapes this spiritual problem, this spiritual conundrum, this, this uh, spiritual death that we all suffer because of our sin. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And everyone needs to come th to the Father. We just may not recognize that. 
And Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, there's no exceptions to this. And trying to deceive God about our sin will not work. Denying that we have sin is a losing battle, and it's one that David will tell us always ends in sorrow. But acknowledging God is holy and acknowledging ourselves as flawed and as sinful, that brings blessing. That brings wholeness. That brings relief. That brings hope and that brings forgiveness. David continues in verse 3, he says this, For when I kept silent about my sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. This is Satan's secret weapon against us. And it's a combination of two things. Number one, there's the cultural lie that we are all basically good. Satan is a great purveyor of that lie. And secondly, the fact that most of us, probably all of us, hate, hate the idea that we are at fault for anything, that we are culpable for anything. We hate that. We hate the understanding that we are sinners, that we are the ones worthy for blame. We're experts at blame shifting, but we never want to take the blame ourselves. But what verse 3 also tells us is that we know better. We do. We know better. We hate to admit it, but we know better. And the fact that we do, deep inside, know better, and that we keep silent about it, we refuse to confess our sin, that actually makes us sick. It makes us sick spiritually. It makes us sick emotionally. And yes, it can even make us sick physically when we're holding this stuff in. And then what do we do with that sickness? Because we know something is wrong. What do we do? What we do is we seek relief by running after the things of this world and ignoring the only one who can actually help us, which would be God. In fact, what we usually do is we blame God and we blame others. We blame God and we blame others for our misery that was caused by who? Us. David is pointing that out to us. In this psalm, David cuts right to the heart of us because he is us. And then in verse 4, he says this, For day and night your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But here's the good news. God is the hound of heaven. He wants us reconciled to him. He wants a relationship with us. And his law is on our hearts, and so he pursues us. He loves us. It's, here you go. It's David Crowder's song, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I'm leaving that for Tyler. That's why he's here. But, but I'll read to you this first part of this song of David Crowder's, how he loves. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions. David's talking about these afflictions. Eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are. And how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. How he loves us all. But... But in this verse also, this unconfessed sin, this, this internal nagging knowledge that there is something wrong with us, it feels heavy 
because God's hand is heavy on us and, and his law is written on our hearts. And so we know this. It is heavy. It feels heavy because it is heavy. And so confession is good. Confession heals. This is why God calls us in his word to confess our sins to one another and to God. It heals us spiritually. It heals us emotionally. It even heals us physically. It's good for the soul, the mind, and the body. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it's interesting, if you note in your Bibles, after verse 4, there's that little word, Selah. If you don't know what that means, it means that in reading this psalm, we're supposed to pause right here and reflect on what David is saying. This is an important time to stop and reflect and think and meditate and ruminate on what God is saying right here. Reflect on the wisdom and the truth and the love that God is communicating. And that love has to do with the fact that he's pointing out that we are flawed and we need redemption. And then David continues in verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God forgives. And this verse is victory, victory, victory in and by and through our confession and our submission to the grace and love and forgiveness and wisdom and the will of God, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Sustainer. And again, there's another Selah after verse 5. So David is telling us to really ruminate on these words as we go through this, to ponder what God is doing, to remind us who God is and who we are. And, and it's in a sense, I, I know David was alive before Jesus was born, but in a sense, it's like David is saying, you need to come to Jesus. And we need to come to Jesus. And then verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, God, at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. The hymn there is the sinner who does submit and confess. That's the hymn there. This is such an important verse, and it's critical for you and I to be able to understand it. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, that word godly, what does it mean to be godly? Well, first, foremost, and essentially, before anything else, you need to humbly acknowledge your sin to God. The first step in being godly is to repent. And that's not just once, but it's every day. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. There's... there's, No other godliness without repentance. It starts with repentance. No godliness counts without repentance first. It can look godly, but it isn't if there isn't repentance involved. We need to acknowledge that he is God and that we are not. No other other godliness happens otherwise. Repenting and praying first for forgiveness of sin is what sets all other possible godliness in motion. And then David says, to offer a prayer at a time when God may be found. What does that mean? Well, the Bible is clear throughout. God is patient, but he's not infinitely patient. 
there is actually a limit on his patience. There is a perishability to our hope for redemption and forgiveness. Time will run out if we're not careful. Paul reminds us in in Romans 1 that at some point, God will give to those who are unrepentant and refuse to acknowledge him, he will give those people exactly what they want, life without him. He, he He will turn us over to our wicked desires and we will eventually die from them. There will be that point of no return. The weight of unconfessed, unrepentant sin is death. And so David is, is exhorting us to go to God while there's still time. And the rush of the great waters, what does that mean? Well, here's where we begin to hear from David about faith in the midst of radical uncertainty. God reminds us through this psalm that the calamity of judgment for sin will come. But for the one who is godly, for the one who acknowledges God, these great waters of judgment will not subdue him or her. This is good news. This is the gospel. And so in verse 7, David says this, God, you are a hiding place for me. God, you preserve me from trouble. God, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. God is our, wait for it, wait for it now, God is our safe space. He's our true safe space. All this nonsense about safe spaces in schools and in the marketplace and in the public sphere, it's just nonsense. There is no safe space except for with God. That's the only true safe space. And sure, we can try to hide from other people's words, but we can't hide from God. In fact, our hiding place is in God. Our hiding place is with God. He is our protection and our preservation, and he is our deliverer from the consequences of sin. David continues, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And this is it. This, This verse is, in fact, our future in uncertain times. This is the nexus of this psalm. This is everything that David has been building to. We can trust God with our future. For he will teach us, he will guide us, he will counsel us, he will instruct us. God is with us. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5 says this, God will never leave us or forsake us. This is the one future that you and I need and can be certain of, and that is God is with us, and he gives us his salvation, he gives us his sanctification, and it is his joy to be with us. And so David continues in verse 9, he says that God is saying this to us, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't you love the imagery here that David is using? God says, don't be stubborn. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be like a, a horse or a mule that just wants to go its own way. Pursue me and submit to my will. This is Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you're wondering what to do in uncertain times, we need to seek God's will. That's what we need to do. We need to be reminded of who he is and seek his wisdom. Paul specifically says that verse, writes that verse in the wake of saying, We live in a darkened 
and corrupted world, and we need God's wisdom to be able to navigate it. Now more than ever, we need God's wisdom. David continues in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. That would be the unrepentant, those who aren't confessing their sin, those who don't come to Jesus. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Those of you who are Christians, people of faith right now, you, you think you have sorrows? And I'm not trying to be flip, and I'm not trying to minimize how hard this is for us. But we need to understand that if we are in Christ, our sorrows are nothing compared to those who, as of today, have placed all of their faith in the, and hope in the things of this world. Because the world right now is failing them. And so they are flailing. That's the problem. They have, we think we have sorrows. They're the ones that have sorrows, burdened with sorrows unending. Their hope is to come to Christ. Our hope is to seek after Christ and be with him. Unrepentant sinners ultimately live in sorrow, but for us, those of us who know Jesus, verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we are glad. We have joy. And we should shout and we should sing as a result. So Jesus has a perspective on this as well in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Here's how he says it in Matthew 6. And, and I know if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably read these words uh, at least once, maybe several times. When was the last time you read these words in the Sermon on the Mount? in the midst of such turbulent times as today. It's like today, these words really take on a brand new meaning for us. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't seek your relief in the things of this world. They will not deliver for us. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Tom used to say, Tom Schrader used to say this all the time. Let me see your checkbook. This is old, old school checkbooks. I know some of you don't even have those, but let me see your checkbook registry, and let me see your daytimer, your schedule, and I'll tell you where your heart is. Isn't that interesting? It's the things of this world. Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures there. He goes on to say this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which one of you, by being anxious or by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? I think this is the verse right here that would maybe describe why I'm not worried about the coronavirus. I don't imagine that the virus is looking at me and saying to itself, there is a worrier, I better stay away from him. And I know the old joke you know, worrying works. 95% of the stuff I worry about never happens, so worrying works. You understand what I'm getting at. Why waste our energy with that? 
Jesus is saying the same thing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Uh, this last Wednesday afternoon and Thursday all day, I was up in Prescott, and Thursday morning I went out for a nice long leisurely run. And I will tell you, by the way, there's no coronavirus in Prescott, so maybe we should all move there. But at any rate, I'm out running, and I was blown away by the beautiful flowering trees, by the flowers that had, that had, been, that had sprung up in Prescott. I mean, I was, it was absolutely gorgeous. In particular, they have these plum trees that were all blooming, and they were absolutely spectacular. And it reminds me of this verse here. If God's doing that for the trees and for the grass, don't you think he's going to take care of us as well? Jesus says just that. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. C.S. Lewis is famous for writing, if you seek after the world, you're going to miss the world and you're going to miss God. But if you seek after God, you're going to get the world thrown in as a bonus. He's just paraphrasing what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus wraps up this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our faith is what is going to sustain us in uncertain times. And not just sustain us, but it's going to help us be the church to others who need the church during these times. And that's our call. Uh, let me pray for us, and then I'll, I'll uh, give us our benediction here at the end. Okay? Lord God, we do pray during these very difficult and turbulent times we pray for those who are vulnerable, especially right now, those who, uh, who actually can't get to the store and are caught a little bit short and are worried about that. Uh, I pray for them, and I pray for those who are vulnerable to the virus and who feel vulnerable to the virus. I lift them up. But I also pray for our church, and I pray that we would be the church. So I ask that uh, you would just fill us with your spirit, that you would instill us with your faith, you would remind us of your love, and let us cling fast to the, the hope of your promises, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that no matter what happens, we have eternity with you. So God, help us and be reminded of who you are and that we can submit to you, and in that we can find our safe place. I pray that in Jesus' name. So some of you might be thinking, well, you never got to the New Testament letter of Paul in the sermon. That's because I'm saving it for the benediction. Here's the benediction. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God bless you all, Redemption Arcadia. Hope to see you really soon.